Part Twelve of the Blue Review, Volume One, Issue Number Two, edited by John Middleton Murray. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. General Literature by Frank Swinnerton, Gretton's Modern History, A Small Boy, Steps to Parnassus, Lore of Proserpine, Dreams. No particular descriptive term has in general been for years so commonly misunderstood as the word detachment. Writers dealing with the kind of fictional art condemned as realism have always supposed that realism meant something laboriously objective, whereas realism, for which I am told writers to the Westminster Gazette have been trying to find a more apologetic name, is not necessarily either laborious or objective once it is properly mastered by the realist and his critics. English realism does not set up a convention of not knowing anything about subjective states. It is, on the contrary, primarily concerned with the revolt against material things by the extraordinarily simple means of showing how they very evilly dominate the lives of the majority of men, and it is ironic and genuinely detached. Now the reason it so clearly indicates its true succession to the older school of English writers is that the detachment of English realism is, not objectivity, but a very quiet, typically English, humorous judgment. English realism, then, is intellectual to the extent that it is based upon lucid judgment, but its detachment is nothing more nor less than the peculiar focusing power of this critical humour which makes it unheroical and, I hope, unsentimental, but never insensitive. And it is not restricted to fiction, because realism is an attitude of mind, and not simply a technical method. Mr. Gretton, in his Modern History of the English People, 1880-1910, Grant Richards, two volumes, seven and sixpence net each, of which the second volume is now published, is witty rather than ironic, because he is a serious and responsible analyst. But his detachment is entirely admirable. His book is not so much a history as a gloss upon events, and it is sometimes a little difficult in the absence of consecutive narrative to emulate Mr. Gretton's alertness in springing from subject to subject. But apart from that fact, and the further fact that the extreme conciseness of the book demands the assumption by Mr. Gretton of the reader's familiarity with such things as the financial world and its vocabulary, the follow-on rule, and the qualities of Harris Tweed. The two volumes have a clearness as well as a critical value, and a humour of the highest significance. The writing is wonderfully brief and efficient, avoiding both baldness and overloading. The difficulty of compression and selection has been overcome with immense gusto, the omission of references to kinema has been noted elsewhere. I may perhaps mention two other very slight points. De Rougemont, I believe, was not a real name, and the Daily Mirror was not really started as a halfpenny photographic daily. It was intended as a penny newspaper for ladies, and adopted its present form after a very short run on its first lines. Very different from Mr. Gretton's work, and from each other are the two books recently promulgated by distinguished novelists, though both deal autobiographically with the early years of life. Mr. Henry James, 
beginning with the idea that the public would like to have early reflections of his brother, William James, has been able to recreate, with characteristic detachment, the world in which they both moved as boys. Not many of these pages deal actually with W.J., but they are nevertheless a perfect delight, as wonderful as pages from Mr. James's most wonderful novels, and throwing off the same fascinating air of the understanding of a unique order of life. It is a delight, especially, to catch in delicious, long, miraculously sustained and complete sentences the very real history of Mr. James's progress to comprehension of his own subtle perception of things, which he styles a virtue, and then, against himself, admits of ice. How, from the time when an aunt forbade her little girl to make a scene, his mind began to see everything in scenes and situations, to the time when he realised that everything should represent something more than what immediately and all too blankly met the eye. His progress to the possession of the true power of observation and retention is here disclosed. As the picture of a novelist in his earliest stages, a small boy and others, Macmillan, twelve shillings net, is fascinating to the lover of that novelist. As a beautiful picture in its own right, which, glimmers at me as out of a thin golden haze, with all the charm for imagination and memory of pressing pursuits rewarded, of distinctness in the dimness of the flush of life in the grey, of the wonder of consciousness in everything. So impossible it is better to express the impression of the book than in Mr. James's own words. It is a supreme and delightful work of art, based on truth humorously observed in the best English tradition. Mr. James' detachment is nowhere illustrated more surely. The inexpressible candour of his primary perceptions, made difficult for us only by the consummate analysis of their interplay, is here once again revealed. Making observation the cornerstone of his art, pedestrian gaping having been in childhood, Mr. James says, prevailingly my line, embalmed as it were, in a sort of fatalism of patience. He presently seems to define arts as dignity and memory and measure, conscience and proportion and taste, not to mention strong sense too. And if that is the definition of art, then surely Mr. James establishes his right for ever to be regarded as one of the most artistic artists who have ever lived. Whatever may be his ultimate position among novelists, his influence upon novelists of the present day is probably greater than that of any other writer of any time. It is impossible, that is to say, not to learn from Mr. James. Sometimes the peculiarity of his later style, but inevitably something of the vital sense of truth that pervades his books, however his later conventions may have strayed from the clarity of Roderick Hudson and the exquisite portrait of a lady. Mr. James, like all other realists, has never shrunk from the full exercise of his most fastidious perceptions. For that virtue alone he deserves canonization. He has never preached, but has always found the complexities and simplicities of life his absorbing study. And if we would judge the almost ingenuous manner of his sensitive approach to impressions, we are bound to read a small boy with gratitude and affectionate delights. Mr. J. C. Squire, Steps to Parnassus, Latimer, three shillings and sixpence net, 
does not shrink from his perceptions but a parodist such as mr squire deserves something to parody to ridicule the mediocre is one of the most useless occupations in life and it is almost intolerable to see a man of mr squire's quite a special talent doing wilfully what his victims fumblingly do in all good faith so these steps to parnassus are more by way of being cruelly humorous imitations than parodies in the case of mr macefield apart from the sublime lapse into poetry after mr macefield's own manner the fun is too boisterous and unlike to be amusing elsewhere it is not really very edifying to have one's contempt for the jejune roused by mr squire's malicious pleasure in emulation different indeed from any of the other books notable this month is the law of proserpine macmillan five shillings net for it is by no means humorous or even very entertaining you will gather says mr morris hewlett that i was a reader either that or the cult of fairies is but a sad one for this jaded unhappy sterile book is otherwise inexplicable no grace is here no tender delicate participation in what we might assume to be the exquisiteness of the fairy realm instead we find fairies very prosaic little persons clad invariably in a single respectable garment which however seems not quite to suffice in cold weather to keep the owner warm and mr hewlett is not at all moved to any lightness of touch after twice conducting us through the books which he in common with nearly every other boy read in early years he tells us about the solemn little fairies he has seen and repeats two long stories one of a fairy visitant and babe-stealer the other of a fairy wife in which his own experience is not concerned but in all these stories even in that of the oreads in wiltshire there is a commonplaceness of imagining no less than a hardness of relation which is really astonishing it is as though mr hewlett had determined to put aside all his various mantles such as those which yielded the beautiful earthwork out of tuscany the incomparably rich forest lovers the harsher novels of actual history and the more recent experiments in modern romance and show to our unwilling gaze the secret reason why these splendidly costumed works each swaggering in a richly embroidered cloak of brilliant phrases never seemed in all their dazzling wonder to have truly operative hearts he has essayed realism the writing of things strongly seen and felt in a style of convincing simplicity and the effect is one of a book which is neither lively as we might surely expect it to be nor scientific mr hewlett would not have it scientific nor would we but if he is to adopt recognised poetic names such as queen mab and oberon and presumably the fairy common herd as he seems to do he should also i should have supposed make his accounts less laborious and more spirited in the manner of the poets from whom he borrows his nomenclature as it is the fairies in lore of proserpine are simply unpleasing and substantial creatures such as we may see at any time in daylight without excitement and if they are as dull as this there seems no actual virtue in acquaintance with them moreover the book has a horrible number of banalities such as every one of us lives in a guarded house door shut windows curtained 
we are bound all of us by our natures bound by them and abounded and worst of all the forsaken merman is a beautiful poem but not a safe guide to those who would relate the ways of the spirits of the sea surely the book is a subject for mr squire mr reginald hine dreams and the way of dreams dent five shillings net has produced a very agreeable miscellany of dreams and quotations from all sorts of authors ancient and modern and exceedingly apt and humorous remarks of his own the dreams given are in some cases serious and in others the strange chaotic medleys that cause so much laughter at the breakfast-table but all are good mr hine writes from his own experience and is so far scientific and he has a tremendous familiarity with what has been written upon the subject he is a genuine believer in the value and the truth of dreams and dreaming but he is no bigot that is to say he is a humorist and is therefore able to see himself and his enthusiasm with detachment even while none the less believing firmly in what he has to say accordingly his book is one to be enjoyed on quite other grounds than the mere discussion of the author's case which perhaps is less important than his very nice dreams but mr hine is a good writer as well as a good dreamer and he has a mighty commonplace book from which he culls pleasant quotations looking back over this chronicle i hope i have not laboured the word detachment too hard i have found the quality in all the books save one and in that one i judge it to be absent because humour is absent from the author's essential make-up mr hewlett's modern comedies quite obviously based upon an artificial convention rather than a truly ironic conception of life they make indeed hardly any pretence of representing life and must be judged by their own convention but when mr hewlett brings his hobby into the open and rides it with a prim solemnity it is surely permissible to call his book a dull book and it is dull because he is too seriously intent upon it he has the feeling of being a seer i take leave to flatter myself he says that my own will be indispensable prolegomena to any such work a study of the preternatural or to any research tending to its compilation that sentence offends me precisely because it reveals absorption untempered by either poetic enthusiasm or true detachment one can't even be sure that it is true end of part twelve